repeated classics. Fulfilling failed franchises. Reinvigorating reviled rehashes. It's the follow-up showdown with Paul Gitz, Travis McMaster, and Lauren Accordi. Welcome back, uppers and downers, to the follow-up showdown to Nerds in Quarantine, where we continue to give worthy second chapters to stories that don't have them. I am your host, my name is Paul, Paul Getz, and with me are the Bubba's to my gump, my co-hosts, Travis McMaster and Lauren Picorni. Hey guys. Howdy. I'm glad to have been upgraded from L- Lieutenant Dan to Bubba. You are more of a Lieutenant Dan, it just had a better ring to it. Oh, okay. What I said, so. <laughs> um, we're going to do things a little bit out of order at the top here and introduce our guest now, then do a couple other things, and then get into the movie. So... Our guest today is a dear friend of mine, a extremely talented musician. He is sweeter than a box of chocolates and twice as mysterious, Robin Ferris Hansen. Hey, Robin, how's it going? Hello. Is that my, my <laughs> mysterious voice? Hey, oh, I, the nerds in quarantine thing, does that apply to me as well? Because I'm actually pretty cool and I do not believe in the novel coronavirus. Oh, Ooh. Uh, okay, well, this episode took a turn real fast. Um, as far as the nerds thing go, we have had other people fight against it as a title. Um, I think for being on the show, though, it counts. It counts? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'll change everything. Wait, you- whoa. I'm what? one of the nerds? <laughs> Are you in quarantine? What? You're, one of the, you're one of the head nerds, buddy. Whoa. Lieutenant nerd. I thought it was like a zoo situation. You know, when you go to the zoo and there are apes at the zoo, they don't mean you as well. I'm watching you nerds. I'm at the zoo. Well, everybody just, uh, you know, keep all of your ways of looking at it and, and, and opinions about the coronavirus to yourself and, and we'll just move ahead. Paul, did you bring enough shrimp cocktail for the whole class? I did, but I don't know how to get it to you. Damn it. Mm. So yeah. Paul's eating. I don't know why I feel like it's too early for shrimp. It's, <laughs> it's a little. It's lunchtime. Yeah, but as lunch. soon as you pulled that shrimp already covered in cocktail sauce into view of the camera, I lurched a little bit. I was just jealous immediately. It looks very good. It is. So that's another clue as to what movie we're talking about. But before we get to that, couple little tiny mini segments I want to get out of the way. Number one, a quick things left on the table. This is in reference to our She's All That episode, uh, in which we referred many times to the upcoming reboot He's All That, which will be uh, supposedly released this year in 2021 at some point. As of December of last year, in an interview with Rachel Lee Cook, that movie has been upgraded into the category of sequel because Rachel Lee Cook will be returning to play Lainey Boggs in this movie. Okay, so then I guess that's out of the way. Oh, I did want to quickly make reference. We are recording this pretty soon after the Super Bowl happened. In that Super Bowl, one of the commercials fell into a category that we haven't yet discussed on the show, which is sequels to classic movies in the form of a commercial. This year, there was a sequel to Edward Scissorhands, starring Timothy Chalamet and Winona Ryder that I believe was a Cadillac commercial. And, you know, I found it satisfying enough as far as these sequel commercials go uh if anybody has any thoughts on 
this phenomenon or, or if it's a travesty or I think it should not be, you know, used liberally. I think hmm. it should be used in very special special occasions like um uh like the Ford Motor sales event. Like <laughs> I guess it was uh almost two years ago now, whenever they did the uh E. T. commercial. The Xfinity commercial, yes. Yeah, yeah. That that was that was pretty great, so I'm for it. I don't have any problem with with people. I don't know. It seems harmless. Worst case scenario, it's another commercial you can't ignore. Best case scenario, uh, you know, Henry Thomas gets to meet E.T. again. Yes, to some extent, I want to get into this, but I also kind of want to save it for maybe a more appropriate episode. So here's a little teaser for you. I have strong feelings of disagreement with Travis and Lauren about this specific E.T. commercial which we've discussed before, so we don't have to get into it now. Um, but I will say what I would say is the worst example of of these types of commercials was a Ferris Bueller one from several years ago, pre-2010 at least, because it was before I moved out to LA. I remember the tease for it was Matthew Broderick talking to the camera and saying, life moves pretty fast, you know, blah, blah, blah. And everybody got excited. Thank you. And then it turned out to be Matthew Broderick as himself walking around talking about a minivan I think. I mean, they could have at least brought back Ferris. I was just disappointed all over the place for that one. But I also thought at the time it was a brand new phenomenon. So I thought that meant there was going to be a Ferris Bueller too. Moving past that didn't go particularly well, I don't think. Not, not uh, as much hate to make as we had all hoped, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, into a segment of the listener's log. You sent something in to the listener's log. Now let's check in on the listener's log. I'm going to read a, a, a few things sent in by listeners to us just because it's so fun to do that and feel special. I'm so excited there's multiple Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I'm essentially going to go through all that exists on Apple Podcasts as our reviews for the show. Okay, so this one I've read to you guys because this was pretty fun. I'm also listening. (laughs) (laughs) You are the wind beneath our wings, after all. Okay, this one from Weezyars, all one word, W-E-E-Z-Y-A-R-S. New to pods, huge fan. As someone who is still dipping into podcasts, I couldn't be more of a fan of this group and their dynamic. Paul, Lauren, and Travis are able to make my commute enjoyable. I'm not always familiar with the movies, but they make each episode accessible regardless. Thank you to the McMaster Minute there, Travis. So happy they included one of my all-time favorites, The Matrix. Looking forward to whatever else they pump out. Everyone brings something to the table, and Paul is the glue that holds it all together. That (laughs) and Travis's voice, heart. Did they mention Robin? Nothing about the wind and the wings. Yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, it, it's rude, wheezy. It, yeah, it's a shame. We really haven't given the credit that's due to Robin uh, in all these episodes. No, he's been here the whole time, always silently smiling and nodding when we make good jokes. Yeah. And when we make bad yeah. jokes, he'll give us the old like, oh, close. The uh, the silent glue. I he, think I, I've been called. Yeah, and he gives us those little countdowns with the fingers. The five, four, three, mm-hmm. two. You know, and so I do the know I do the middle finger last, which everybody <laughs> you guys always have to contain yourself. It's so hard to start. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So next that was review Lil, that was that was Lil Wayne sent that in. Uh, could be. I hope so. I mean, we ZRs. Uh, I could see that being a reference there, a veiled reference to Lil Wayne. So I, I could also see him just getting into podcasting. <laughs> yeah, and having he's guested on a know. few, I'm sure, but <laughs> no idea why he was there. I thought this was a barbecue. 
That's my little wing. Oh, perfect little yeah. wing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next from Hasim or Hasim Rivers. Uh, such a fun idea. First of all, I really enjoy the critiques of the movie sequels. I love when podcasts tear bad movies apart. But also, what a neat idea to brainstorm prequels and sequels to movies we love. I find myself trying to do the same thing now. Thanks for the podcast. Aw, that's, that's nice. nice. Mm. I don't. I'd like to officially say I'm not trying to tear anything apart here. I know we all know. Just an even-handed critique. Sometimes those critiques, maybe they get a little rough, but that's just because I'm insecure and I want the laugh. It's not usually you that gets it rough. You usually like them. Yeah. Can somebody just isolate that sound clip and send it to me for my own personal use? What you said? You don't usually get it that rough, but you usually like it. It's a sex joke. It's not my usual, but whatever. It's a weekend. Hey, we're getting dynamic. Finally. <laughs> Next from the Ch- Chibata Kid, this podcast. Oh, I, like I like this guy. Yeah, or, or gal. girl. Yeah, uh, this podcast is so fun. This podcast puts a smile on my face. Paul is such a great host, and he should make every sequel to every movie ever. Aww. So wow. Oh, is that it? Is the Chipata kid done listening <laughs> to people they what? appreciate on the show? What? <laughs> Chipata. Chipata. Chibata. Chibata? Chibata bread. It's well, delicious. Well, hey, I wouldn't know because I'm not, you know. You're not, not gonna I'm win not... the Chibata kid over to your side yeah. <laughs> pronouncing his name like that. Or her. Or, or her. her name. I'm so yeah. sorry, Lady Chibata kid. Just a kid, you know. Hey, it's Chibata, just some kid. If Chibata's uh, listening, could they say Travis, something nice Travis about really my sequel? Yeah, Travis yeah. just wanted to say, can you leave another review saying the same thing except put Travis instead? Okay. My final review is uh, this is a very special one because this comes from Kel Dev. Presh, I happen to know this is a friend of mine, Kelly McDevitt. I would call it her our biggest fan, or at least our most avid supporter. Every single post she likes, she is actively commenting on Facebook and Instagram. She's she's even she's the only listener who has written in a uh, different pitch she thought should have won. Um, it was mine for the who Grease episode. Who was she uh, trying to take the victory? Well, from? it was a, it was a tie between Lauren and our guest uh, Chris Newell. <laughs> uh, okay, so this, two, this so whole, two people. Uh, this whole segment is very pro-Paul. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> two people, two people who weren't me won, and an individual wrote in to say that a third person who was not me won. Okay. Um, but uh, something that does pertain to all of us, Kelly um, is the person who got me hired at Press Juicery all those years ago, oh. and ultimately the one who led to this dynamic. Thankfully, That's because that is where Travis and I met Lauren. Yeah. Um, and and I got hired, then Travis got hired. I got hired because I dropped your name, Paul. Mm-hmm. I got uh, hired on the spot after that. You got so. hired because Cody was a mensch. Well, okay. <laughs> he was and I drank some of those juices. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Plenty. That's right. Robin was, well, the whole time I was giving my interview with the job, he was smiling and looking at me. <laughs> Counting down, I'd which is like confusing. I'd like juice served by that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just walking by as a, uh, a civilian. <laughs> that my, guy my. handle the job. He work here because that makes me thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> that, was my, that was my experience, too. Ooh, zing. Yeah. We're working blue over here today. <laughs> oh, very good. Anyways, just a special thank you to Kelly for being so supportive. I, we will have her on the show. She's already picked 
her movie for next season. Her review, oh boy, this show is a lot of fun. It's perfect for temporarily releasing the stress knot that has taken up permanent residence in my chest since March of 2020. It's funny, silly, and you might learn a little something about the writing process along the way. Well, that sounds like it was a veiled comment about me. Thank you, Kelly. (laughs) I appreciate that. Let's, we're done. We're done with the we have segments part of the show. Just trying something out there. We just Let's wanted to in- make sure that after we read these positive reviews, we mm-hmm. wouldn't get any more. Actually, I was hoping episode. that we would. Please, <laughs> please write into Apple Podcasts, uh, like and subscribe, blah, 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 all that stuff. Now, let's talk about the movie we are here for, 1994's Forrest Gump, a six Academy Award winning film, one of the two in a row for the great Tom Hanks, and a movie chosen by Robin. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about why that is. About why? Uh, so I had actually just rewatched Forrest Gump for, I don't even know how many times I've seen it. I'm going to say mm-hmm. maybe less than 10, more than five, somewhere in that window. You know, mm-hmm. the, uh, I'm talking six, I'm talking seven, <laughs> maybe eight. <laughs> it's, it just... It, it's a fascinating inner experience to watch Forrest Gump. I don't know that it has a genre. I don't mm. know that there's anything else quite like it. Uh, it's uh, problems are so obvious. <laughs> it's like right up front. But, <laughs> uh, but also, uh, you know, then then you're, uh, you know, then you're uh, crying and laughing. And uh, I, I can't I can't settle no matter how high the levels of cynicism are in my body i've never been able to to defeat forrest gump the movie watching experience always kind of just you know pushes all that dark stuff down yes i had a similar experience to what you're talking about i mean i definitely seen this movie many 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 times but in the rewatch for this podcast this is the first time i think i've watched it since you know, it became apparent to me that it it was it, it's a controversial thing, or it, it it's at least often put into the category of being very overrated or very problematic. Those things did become glaringly obvious this time around. Uh, those things came came very quickly to the surface. However, I also had the experience of being brought back and crying you know, earnestly crying throughout the movie because of its sincerity and really just. The magic of Tom Hanks. Yeah, it goes a long <laughs> ways in this movie. Yeah. They really get their money's worth out of out of the Hanks and Gary Sinise. Yeah, sure. That's yeah, too, is like yeah, the, the movie is not without its faults. It's mm-hmm. a little dated. Um, it's a very it's a very much a white person movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tom Hanks is so sincere and you know notably a good person. So I think that does a lot of <laughs> heavy lifting. Yeah. I think what's interesting about it is, especially as like us who were old enough to remember watching it when it came out and how that all felt, there's that core there that you still just, whatever it is about it, you fucking love. But then they also wanted to have like a death from AIDS and the Vietnam War. And they're like, but it's a fun family movie. Well, and molestation and just darkness, yeah. darkness, darkness. And I just don't uh, think racism. Could, yeah. You couldn't make it today that way because you know the humor style has changed we're too self-aware you i don't think you could do it today and i don't even think you could really have done it then without tom hanks no 
Certainly not. Well, this seems like a perfect transition to get into the writers and actors notes and really sort of put this a little bit more under the microscope. But first, we have to do a minute with McMaster. A minute with McMaster. I can't. Okay, I'm ready when you are. (laughs) Taking his shirt off. (laughs) (laughs) Ripping it straight down the center. Hulk style. All right. And go. Forrest Gump is the story of the life of Forrest Gump as told by Forrest Gump sitting on a bus bench waiting for a bus to different strangers. He recounts his entire life from childhood through college, through his time in the war, all during which he's he is being a party to and in some cases causing major historic and cultural events. Um, the through line is his relationship with his childhood friend Jenny, who he is waiting to go visit. That's why he's waiting on the bus. Uh, He then goes and visits Jenny. She reveals that they have a secret son together from their brief time while they were married. Um, And she has AIDS and she dies. And then Forrest has to raise the son. No, don't shake your head at me, Paul. God damn it. Mm -hmm. And uh, all the while we're seeing um, the movie is is full of these delightful vignettes of his life. It's a character study. It's an anthology piece almost where we get to see America's history viewed through the lens of this fantastic everyman. Mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you had four seconds left. You know, time, time wise, that was good. Uh, the, the head shaking came at a the clump of wrong information. No, um, that took place in the center there. One, when Forrest and Jenny make love and make the baby, make little Forrest, they are not married. They don't get married till the end. The listeners know what I meant. Um, also, no verbal consent in that scene. Is that fun? That's to know? true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was something I was thinking about. Too, as far as like Forrest as a person and a character, like how much consent he's able to give. Mm-hmm. I, I think if you can captain a shrimp boat, that's what you. That's said. what I said last <laughs> night. If you can captain a shrimp boat by yourself, I well, feel like anything else you're handling, you know, you've well, got it. No, <laughs> I will also say they do not specify what virus she dies of. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, after the fact, the author has said that it is hepatitis C. <laughs> that's that what she died of yeah i also thought we, it was AIDS. it was a uh, <laughs> congenital heart defect actually yeah. <laughs> nothing to do with the drugs at all yeah uh, sharing yeah. needles happened to happen you know at the same time sometimes you get lucky for the sake of anybody who hasn't seen this movie worth mentioning are also the three other main characters gump's mother played by sally field who essentially influences who who he is as person she's she's good hearted woman who cares for her son she takes care of him and she helps him to see that he can still be special despite having learning disabilities i guess is the best way to say it there's bubba his best friend who he meets in the vietnam war who wants to have a shrimping business when he gets out of the war which gump after bubba dies in the war gump goes on and makes that happen and then there's lieutenant dan who is their commanding officer who loses his legs in the war and who gump saves his life and then he becomes a bitter man, but then becomes a better man because of Forrest. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying you left four seconds on the table, Travis. That's, uh, <laughs> That's one second. Those are all key points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So then getting into the notes on this movie, writer's notes. The screenplay was written by Eric Roth, a powerhouse screenwriter. He also wrote The Insider, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Munich, uh, and A Star is Born, the Lady Gaga Bradley Cooper version. Thank you. That everybody that makes so much sense. He wrote the curious case of Benjamin Button because I feel mm-hmm. 
when that came out, and probably to this day, people compare it a little bit to Forrest Gump. Yeah, it really but, wanted to be Forrest Gump. I think on all the posters for Benjamin Button, it says from the writer of Forrest Gump. I think mm-hmm. that they they even went that far to make the comparison. I feel like every once uh, in a while, they'll try to capture that kind of magic again. Like Big Fish, I also feel like had very mm-hmm. gumpy vibes. Uh, yeah. And, and like these... Yeah, that's just like, you know, get get everybody out to see a, a movie that will make their hearts bigger. I would say the key yeah. difference versus Big Fish and Curious Case Benjamin Button is that Gump himself is sort of the fairy tale part of yes. the story. Where it, Well, and Benjamin Button is too, but only because of his <laughs> affliction, not because of who he is as a person. Right. There's no magic or magical realism in Gump other than inserting him into historical footage. We're see- the history part we're seeing through the eyes of the people he's talking to because he doesn't see it as history. He just see- he-, he doesn't notice the importance of any of these events. He just says, that nice man. Gump feels like, I, w- I want to say who we'd all like to be, not just in his kindness, you know, and his want to be a good person, but also in how exceptional he is. He is afforded every opportunity, you know, every person would dream of. Which brings us to white privilege. Mm. Also, his his like uh, in, intellectual shortcomings. I mean, like they don't ever put a name to it, which I think is good because, like, aptitude wise, like Travis was saying, he is obviously very capable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, as he as he gets older, but it's it's almost like it's not a story about someone you know with a disability as so much about. Almost like Benjamin Button-esque, like a, a kid that just never grows up. Like he's a little boy when it starts and he's a little boy when it ends. Yeah. And he, that like childishness in him, I think, is what makes it so appealing that through all this darkness and these things that most of us as we get older just gets kind of like harder and heavier to square ourselves against. Um, for him, it's always just, you know... That's good. But we still, it still resonates with us. And maybe it's that thing that Robin was just talking about how millennial culture is sort of infamously stunted uh, developmentally. Like we still like all of our toys and stuff. We weren't really raised to know how to fix things and stuff. You know, we still say adulting and that's something that everyone hates now. Um, yeah, dude. You just blew my mind. Have you said that before? And I just thought of it. I'm just that, going off. Me and Robin oh, are vibing. Man. Yeah, I'm vibing too. Yeah. But I do appreciate, I mean, like what Robin was saying, they don't put a label on what his condition is. I think that the movie does that same sort of thing with everything. I mean, it is still problematic, tone deaf in places, but I think the goal and what they are able to accomplish for the most part is to keep things unbiased and neutral and vague. Like Forrest is around a lot of darkness, but he doesn't touch the darkness. He's not influenced by the darkness. And uh, a perfect example of when the racist man is telling him that they're talking about desegregation. Oh, yeah. And black people being allowed to attend the college. And the man says to him, they want to go to college with us. He says, with us? They do? (laughs) Like, which... Goes to show, yes, that he doesn't understand what is being said to him, but also, like, it makes it a charming joke Yeah, for how Forrest sees things. Yeah. Like, he, he has no hate. A part of the Alabama, you know, the system, yeah. which is inherently racist, particularly at that time, but keep, keep his hands clean. The movie is based on a novel uh, of the same name, Forrest Gump, by Winston Groom. The key differences, supposedly, in the novel are all about Forrest himself, essentially... 
according to Winston Groom, they took off all of the characters' rough edges. All of the flaws given to Jenny were in the novel Forests. Uh, so it sounds very, very different. He does do a lot of drugs in the book. Also in the book, he's huge. He's a giant, like, Mice and Men Lenny-sized guy. And uh, things added to the movie that were not in the original book are his needing leg braces as a child and his run across the United States. Notable things taken out of the book is the orangutan Forrest makes friends with (laughs) about halfway through, who he can communicate with, and he goes to space. He goes to space. He's an astronaut as well as a professional wrestler and a chess player. Him and and the ape, whose name I can't remember now, after they crash land out of their space capsule onto an island full of cannibals... He keep he stays alive by beating the chief in chess. So fucking weird. Winston Groom was paid three hundred fifty thousand dollars for the rights and was contracted for a three percent share of the film's net profits, but he was never paid. Paramount apparently, using Hollywood accounting, were able to prove that the blockbuster film lost money, and so he never had to be paid. The way it was settled is he received a seven-figure contract with Paramount for film rights to the sequel book, Gump and Co. Tom Hanks was also not paid directly for this movie, but instead was contracted for a percent share of the film's gross receipts. Mm. Uh, same thing happened with Robert Zemeckis, and the two of them both received $40 million. Very, very... Why adulting, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, she is. <laughs> Writers, famously not the highest paid people in the industry right. He, right. he was on the special features we were watching though speaking mm-hmm. very amicably about his experience and yeah he seems fine he seems like a trip of a guy though <laughs> sounds like the director of this movie was robert zemeckis it was first offered to terry gilliam who it sounds like might have taken it more in the winston groom sure, direction absolutely he would have and then barry sonnenfeld who was oh. signed on for it but left to do adam's family values Win-win. That would have been interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. Specifically, the reason Robert Zemeckis believes this movie was brought to him was because in the original draft of the screenplay, there was more literal interpretation of character symbolism. For example, Lieutenant Dan was supposed to have a dark cloud hanging over him all the time. Jenny was supposed to have angel wings like drawn onto her. And Forrest Gump was supposed to have an animated Curious George as a companion. Robert Zemeckis agreed to do the movie as long as all of these things were cut out. <laughs> he believes he was approached because of Roger Rabbit. Sure. Mm. Uh, is this the part of the podcast where we talk about the soundtrack, maybe? Because that soundtrack... Everyone, I'd like to just take a minute. Everyone be aware of your breath and your hearts, both uh, my friends here I'm recording with and, and, of course, everyone listening out there. Okay? Be aware. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm a feather on the wind. Right? It's like Oh yeah. The movie without that music, I can't I can't imagine it. It drives it so far home that feeling of uh of like spiritfulness or whatever. And safety. That kind of lets you know that even though you are going to be dealing with some heady stuff, you're going to be safe and okay Mm -hmm. the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, growing up, all the music um, hit me as a lot more melancholy. But watching it this time, it didn't, it felt less melancholy and more just, like, gentle and soft. Mm Mm-hmm. 
That's as close as they can get you to feeling like Forrest Gump himself. That's the beat of his heart, yeah. is that <laughs> yeah, yeah. melody. Aww. Yeah. All right, well, so getting into the actor's uh, Winston... No, no. <laughs> okay okay fine as i mean there is more to say more about the music, music because, I mean, uh, a score aside, that that soundtrack is uh bananas because it is giving you Miles. history you know it, it, it yeah a double exactly <laughs> remember when we embodied the feeling of vietnam and these rock songs yeah you know yeah, yeah i know that's the other thing uh, about the score is like by and large, I, I do think the soundtrack's kind of eye-rolly. Uh, even though part of mm-hmm. the reason it's eye-rolly is because it's been henceforth imitated so much. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. the, the theme itself, I feel like, okay. it almost apologizes for <laughs> for any hokiness <laughs> of the rest of the soundtrack. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like Tom Hanks versus so much of the rest of the film. That's you know, right. it's that same yeah. feeling. Schmal- this is schmaltzy. This is through too narrow of a lens. But right. then there's Tom like Hanks. Maybe you want to do you heroin know, you, and you listen to Jefferson Airplane, but I'll be over here with my yeah. floating <laughs> melodic symphony. <laughs> Having said that, now perfectly transitioning into actor's <laughs> notes, Winston Groom has continuously said his perfect casting for Gump is John Goodman. Wow. I mean, sounds like yeah. a different Gump. I'm, you know, and John Goodman's always great, so I'm sure Love that Goodman. could have been. I also think it's important that Forrest Gump, for again, for the Hanks movie, we, you can never be afraid of Forrest Gump. And not that I think John Goodman looks like particularly violent or scary or anything, but he's a big dude. And if a big dude decides he wants to hurt you, he probably will. Right. If Tom Hanks decides he wants to hurt you, eh, maybe you can. Oh, I mean, I feel like they do a good job of establishing that Forrest is a. Like in terms of defending the ones he loves, he has he's a force to be reckoned with in spades. I mean, he, when uh, when it t- comes yeah, time yes. to use it, I like his punches. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're expert. They're like yeah. robot punches. He like, pulls all back, the way back. back. Complete range of motion. Yeah. Okay, so Robert Zemeckis's first choice for this role, this blows my mind, was Harry Anderson <laughs> of Who? Night Fame um, uh, from. Night Court, Cheers. I, I, he, I know he wasn't able to do it because of his commitment to the CBS series Dave's World. Anyway, he didn't get it. Robert Zemeckis' next choice was Bill Paxton, but the studio demanded somebody with more star power. Paxton, I could see I coming close. I think he could pull it off. I could see it. It'll, it'll skirt funnier. Also, it's important to know that like whatever Forrest Gump you get that's not Tom Hanks, you don't get that, that voice. Because Tom started doing that voice when he met the kid they cast to play young him. And obviously that kid's going to look different if it's John Goodman. Uh, Maybe not if it's Paxton. But Hanks was doing, a. you can see in the screen test, he was doing more to his natural speaking voice, Gump. And when he met that little kid with that southern accent, he adopted that. Oh. I mean, the southern accent was prevalent in the book. And Tom Hanks specifically wanted to pull back on it. And yes, then based it off of young Forrest, Michael Connor Humphrey's voice, who actually, that's his real voice. That's how he speaks. That kid went on to do no other acting, but did join the army. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. He, that's, I, I don't, yeah. <laughs> he looks like a kid who's going to join the army, right? Like, yeah. um, I don't do the voice. I never really did voices, um, but I do do mm-hmm. regularly have cause 
to say I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. And I always, <laughs> I always put the extra syllable in the is because uh, it makes it is. Oh yeah, that's that's the right punctuation mark. It's there's like that's, that's where the, the heart is for yeah. some reason. Yeah. The two syllable I. <laughs> it is. We call that a gumptuation mark. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah. all right. Hey. Podcast over. <laughs> the first person officially offered the role was John Travolta, who passed and who regrets it. He's the only one. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh God, I guess we gotta watch Blowout again. Other uh, actresses offered Jenny, who passed, Jodie Foster, Nicole Kidman, Demi Moore. Yeah. Uh, this movie is so iconic, it's hard to imagine anybody else in any of these roles, but like... That one in particular, I just don't see anyone working quite as well as Robin Wright. She has that sort of That's like, and I don't want to, I guess so, but there, I, I want to, the word I want to use was like haggard. <laughs> you know, she has, she looks. Heroin chic is the, you know, she's got that, you know, uh, yeah. That cool gauntness in her. She looks, it's going to sound maybe wrong to say, but she looks abused. You know, she looks lived in. She Ooh. looks <laughs> well, but and not and not in a way where it's like used in. Yeah. <laughs> we started with Haggard and have gone downhill. Well, this, I I think that that's like a, a what you see is like a testament to good subtle movie makeup because I was I was you know by the end of the movie she she looks older than she does at the beginning. And I think it, she looks uh, uh, more at peace. Oh, so it occurs to me like that her character yeah. was sort of never a kid. Like her character grew up very young mm-hmm. and then stayed grown and is best friend oh. with this forever child character. Just kind of a mm-hmm. cool, uh, cool balance and a cool thing for me uh, to notice. Yeah. Did you all? <laughs> well, I mean, cool. did you all know of or watch the deleted scene? Yes, I, I have a, I have a note on that. There's a deleted scene in which Jenny kills Whoa. her father by essentially aiming the mower yeah. at him, and uh, they cut it because they felt that no, the audience wouldn't forgive her. I, despite the I feel like we would have forgiven her. Yeah. I think it would have been very difficult to separate knowing that that much pain is also inside of her on top of everything we have. I yeah. think it would have been hard to come back from that and even ever think of her as at peace yeah. because that's just inside. That's true. Also, it's that's already sad. a long film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can only pack in so much like emotionally devastating material. I think it's a subtle, but effective thing to only really show her father from like, you know, never directly. We're not sure what he looks like. Only that one yeah. scene, you know, because it's like, it's, it sort of shows you how, how Forrest sees it, you know, he, how he like, yeah. he, like mis- mistakens his abusive ways for love, you know? So mm-hmm. I think it, I think it works for that, for that story and that, that, that pain Jenny has. Uh, yeah. This time um, watching it through, I really did see it more so than I used to as like, it's the story of Forrest, but it's the story of Forrest and Jenny. I mean, we were on her journey as much as we're on forests. We just get it through his well, you know, perspective. You're going to get the peas and the carrots. <laughs> can, as long as we're on Jenny, uh, can I can mm-hmm. we talk just briefly about the portrayal of the Black Panthers 
in this film. Yeah. Oh, I feel goodness. like of all yes. of the, like yes. there are a lot of racial complaints you can make about this movie, but a movie that really mm-hmm. like, you know, is remembered as a film that captures these historical characters and moments in this wider context, really diminishing to the entire <laughs> movement of the Black Panther, yeah. basically just makes them yeah. dudes in funny clothes that can't stop uh, preaching at you. <laughs> walking into conversations, arms akimbo, shouting. Just so cartoonish. Yeah, it's silly, like the John Lennon interview scene where he's just quoting Imagine. And yeah, but John Lennon like, wrote songs. The, it's okay to make him look silly. Uh-huh. You know, you know it's what I not mean? like you even Jenny even talks about what she's right. doing with them. You don't know why she knows. Well, she's them with the guy like, who's weekending with them. Yeah, it felt like the writers right. wanted to yes. include, like you know, they're like going through all of the historical beats that should be in the film, and they're like, well, we really got to get the Black Panthers in there. But that's going to be like a line to toe. Like, let's make sure we uh, we stay on the like fun family side. Of it. <laughs> like, it just... There was a, a scene that didn't get shot where Forrest's father, when you see him in that mm-hmm. Birth of a Nation clip, rather than that being the only thing you see, you get to see him as they were the KKK was going through like a lynch mob. Yeah, was... He falls off his horse into the mud, which in the dark confusion makes him appear to be black, and then he gets lynched by his own KKK. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, well, first of all, that's not Forrest's father. That's his, his what, whatever who he is. Or anyway. not, his grandfather right, right, or whatever right, right. it was. Well, yeah. But that was a it scene was, that was, they shot? It was written. I think they ran out of time. It was, wow. it was like, that's what it, was. it was storyboarded, but they were like, hey, we don't have time for this. We'll just like have him on his horse, and then we'll cut him into a scene from Birth of a Nation. So that wasn't even planned originally. So on the Blu-ray, so there's footage God, they cut that out. of Tom Hanks describing that scene to the person he's talking to on the bench, which was the black right, nurse. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. Uh, whole other, oh, yeah. Wow. Weird, weird kind of tinge to it. So thank God that didn't get filmed. Yeah. But it, I mean, yeah. it's already oh, weird boy. enough that he's like saying that he's descended from this Klansman. To the, the yeah, one was a black great, person, yeah, <laughs> the one person. I think colored. they were trying to show, yeah. you know, that like Forrest is blind to these kinds of distinctions. It's felt, it feels very like you know, nineties attempt at being politically correct. But yeah, I think I think Travis is right that there was like at that time this sense of like progressivism is colorblindness. Like the less that you can yeah. be oh, aware yeah. of race, mm-hmm. you know, the least racist you are. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that that, that must've been what they were going for, even though it just doesn't, doesn't age well. Well, I have more actors notes, but I mean, we can, Yay! I'm just gonna abandon and we can go free. <laughs> um, because I want to talk for a second about the people listening to him on the bench. I, I took special notice of them and their varying reactions this time. The first one being the black nurse you referenced. I appreciate that her form of listening to Forrest is more in line with what I think most of us would do, which is try <laughs> not to listen to him because he's a man, a strange seeming mm-hmm. man rambling yeah. on a bench. In fact, I'm um, just viewing the first I think- thing I said after he starts talking, I just went, oh, oh, I would hate this. If I was sitting down and this dude just started in like mm-hmm. this, I might yeah. get up and go find another bus or something. Mm-hmm. Further credit where credit's due to Tom Hanks as far as this goes, because I think that what you're supposed to 
gather from her is that she is so compelled by how interesting the story is that she does eventually start listening before she has to go catch her own bus. Trying to put myself in that situation, I'm thinking these interesting points of him being involved in historical events would just make me further assume this guy's a liar and crazy unless it was Tom Hanks's Forrest Gump doing it. His sincerity is able to push through all sensible barriers of really this is a crazy guy like this is a crazy guy on a bench I, that like like when does anybody I think want to talk that, to that is actually more a reflection of southern culture I think in the south particularly at the time Forrest would have grown up and most likely even into the 80s it's not uncommon to just begin speaking to anyone anyone for great lengths of time mm-hmm. Um, I'm mm-hmm. calling you a snobby. I Yankee. do think uh, I'm also calling you that. I do think that um, the moment when he's sitting on the bus bench next to somebody waiting for a bus and reveals that he was an early investor in Apple and now doesn't ever have to worry about money again. <laughs> I think if I was sitting on the bus, then mm-hmm. that's where I'd be mm-hmm. like, okay, fuck you, dude. I think that's I mean, why that guy pretty, got up and left. Yeah, it's pretty close it's to just, when the, oh, really? the bald guy walks away. We were sitting oh, oh, to that's a millionaire. Right. Yeah, yeah. That guy. Yeah. <laughs> And the yeah. woman who stays only stays because she doesn't believe him and thinks he's an adorable child. Or she wants some of that money. But what doesn't compute about that to me is I don't understand how you could get that far in listening to Forrest and be like, I buy it, I buy it, I buy it. And then go, <laughs> I don't buy it. It's yeah. also, it's something that like of all the other like complaints I could have against Forrest Gump, like it does kind of bum me out that he winds up rich uh, and yeah. just because it, I feel like it's an American story. It's, it's kind of an American dream story. And it just felt like kind of just like a what? false resolution. Like walking away from the movie, I'm feeling like all this friendship and family and love. But then like part of all that is, and everybody in America gets rich, no matter how bad things are. <laughs> it's like, well, that's, that's not a, true. That's another yeah. very boomery mentality yeah, you know yeah. pull, your, pull yourself up by your, straps, you know? by your bootstraps but that's not <laughs> in some ways he does he does try to be a shrimping captain but like that's not what Forrest does he doesn't pull himself up by his bootstraps what happens is a storm destroys every other shrimping but business's that, boat that i him. still think goes yeah. right into you know, Robin's American dream analysis of Forrest Gump, because it says to you, not only do you have to work hard, everyone knows you have to work hard, and then other things have to happen for you to get rich. Mm. But God is on your side, Christian nation. God will send a hurricane to destroy your enemies. And just because you are so pure of heart and just hardworking and gosh darn good old-fashioned Southern American, you will succeed. And then, bonus prize, Apple. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> well, and and then the other thing about the wealth is like in terms of the role it plays in the movie, it doesn't really have one. You know, I mean, he's able to basically it allows him to go on his run across America. Yeah. It doesn't do anything because it doesn't matter in America. It doesn't do anything for you. You can still just want to mow your lawn and live in your childhood home, but you need to make sure there's a lot of zeros. In- well, he does say, I mean, I don't know what he does with his Apple shares, but he gives a lot of his money away. You know, I guess that's where it goes. He 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 donates it. He 
gives Bubba's family well, that's because Bubba's it's share. American fantasy yeah. version where that's mm-hmm. what the millionaires do. Yeah, it's like it's it's feel it's feel good movie making, but it also like I feel a little guilty about how good it makes me feel because at this point I have seen in real time <laughs> that. You don't even have to know what money is. I don't mean to jump up Mm. up and down on the movie because I think it's brilliant and amazing. And I am always just like in awe of how beautiful it is and how well it works and sticks together. Yeah, and I I agree. Actually, like I was reading some newer articles about you. I mean, there's one from last year, 2019, about Forrest Gump. And it said um, that it's more problematic than ever, which made me very angry. It was like the movie's no more problematic now than it was then we've just become a little more self-aware of like how problematic we are in in the present moment. It was like kind of throwing the movie under the bus, I think. Got to get them clicks. Got to get them clicks. Yeah. I mean, in, in more ways than it probably originally intended, it is a historically significant movie because it is this picture of a version of the Norman Rockwell. It is. And they based frames of the movie they on did? Norman Rockwell paintings. I, I didn't, I didn't actually know that. Did. I guess I'm just brilliant. Wow. I guess so. Who knew? Now, uh, really, really quick, just to, because I think some of, a couple of these are interesting. The other actor offered Lieutenant Dan before Gary Sinise, Whoa. Joe Pesci. He passed. I could but, see it. God, I mean, you take the legs off of Joe Pesci. What are we at? <laughs> Two and a half? Three? Oh. <laughs> I, yeah, I could see it. I could totally see it. Did you all notice that uh, whenever Jenny's a little girl, she prays to be made into a bird, and at like the height of mm-hmm. her her journey, where she, you know, she's totally doing her thing, but she realized she's like gone too far and she's not happy. It's whenever Free Bird mm-hmm. is playing. Oh yeah. Mm. And then, and then when she's happy, her hair is feathered. Oh, no, okay. that's a good okay. point. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did notice that when, um, for the first time this time, that when Forrest is talking to her grave, birds fly off at the end of the scene. Yeah. So I but, think that that's... I don't think that's related. Okay, fair. Okay, so other sequels to this movie that do exist so the screenplay for the sequel was written by eric roth the same screenwriter from the book by winston groom gump and co so that screenplay exists but after 9-11 was deemed by tom hanks and robert zemeckis to be completely irrelevant and put the kibosh on the sequel happening at all i ran into similar problems trying to come up with a sequel pitch. Mm-hmm. Turns out those buildings. Yeah. Like you don't, yeah. You don't, there's no good way to come at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Things I know about what was in the sequel novel. It starts with Forrest talking about how difficult his life has become since his life story was made into a movie. So it takes place mm-hmm. in a universe where Forrest Gump, the movie exists. And at the end of the novel, he meets Tom Hanks. Wild. And then my other sequel thing mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up is I don't know of another movie that has sparked a restaurant chain. So there is a sequel restaurant, <laughs> Bubba Gump Shrimp. Um, and I've never, I can't believe it, but I've never been to one. Oh, it's good food. Yeah, I've heard of it. They're expensive. Well, what they have is, is perhaps an introvert's dream. Um, whenever you want to be left alone, 
You can put down a little sign on the table that says run, forest, run. And whenever you need service, you flip it and it says stop, forest, oh. stop. Oh. Now, I like that, although I find those two concepts interchangeable as far as me relating to a waiter. So I never know which one means. And one of them means come over and talk to me. And one stop of them means. Forest, stop. Right. I, I would think that could, yeah. the other way. I agree. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't mess with that too much for the terror that I will call someone over to me and then have to say, oh, sorry, no, I wanted you to not be here. My biggest problem with it is that I, because I'm a huge, as has been discussed on this show before, I am a huge buyer of the Game of Thrones beers, the stuff that's in the movies. It's like, I want to be in the movie. I want to drink and eat what they're drinking and eating. And so finally you're using your real voice on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when something like that happens, where like the concept is bringing the movie into the real world, but then when they do stuff like run forest run, which has nothing to do with the shrimp company part of the story, it ruins it. The fourth wall just comes you're, crashing down and all of a sudden gonna hate. What they have playing on the many TVs in every one of these restaurants <laughs> is Forrest Gump. Queued up to different parts of the movie, playing on because a Because I, I, I have heard that they always have a bench, you know. In a, yeah, with, yeah, with like bronze shoes. But I would assume, I mean, they gotta have, you know, because there's that scene of them listing all the different kinds of shrimps you could have. Gotta be a lot of kinds of shrimps, right? It's not just... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But listen to that list again and try to ask yourself how different those dishes could possibly be. Yeah. Shrimp sandwich (laughs) is in there. Shrimp Shrimp on bread. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Carbato bread. Um, Okay. Carbato? What is it? Ciabatta. (laughs) All right. So then getting into the questions, should this movie have a sequel? No. No. No, absolutely not. It does not need one. I agree. Robin, how wrong is what we're doing today? Huh? Or right? What? Does it should it have a sequel? Yeah, yeah, it should have a sequel. Oh. <laughs> Everything should have a sequel. <laughs> I like that attitude. Of course, it should have a sequel. You watch mm. the movie and you like it, and then it ends, and then there's just nothing. <laughs> Guess I'll go back to work because <laughs> the movie's over. Yeah. <laughs> should I talk about sequel ideas? Okay, no, no, no. Okay, never mind. Uh, next question. Get it, get it under control. If you're, <laughs> you're the if glue, you're going to Paul. do it. Oh no, I'm, uh, I'm disappointing Lil Wayne. Okay, so then, if you're going to do it, sequel or prequel, what's the sweet spot? Sequel. Wow. What would a, okay. Yeah. What would a prequel be? Yeah, I guess we already got the start as as hell. Ma- Mama's story. Find out about Mama's youth. Oh yeah, what was she like during the World War? Yeah. The plantation and all that. You could have like a side quill that's like Jenny's perspective. I toyed with that. Yeah, I thought about that yeah. too. That's why I brought it up. But then I feel like we got so much of that in, yeah. you know, Forest. And then also I feel like if you have anyone who's in the story at all, if they also have this like dramatic and exciting life where they're touching all of these other things... Then it kind of becomes like, well, all right. So what are we doing? What? Just there's like something magic in the water that makes you get to meet. No, LBJ no, no. I mean, something. I feel like you still have to keep that with Forrest. I feel like if you're following Jenny's perspective, you'd just be seeing Forrest on TV all the time. As Jenny, that's what I do at Bubba Gump. <laughs> what if actually? Okay, so what if is one of those prequels that starts out sort of like a sequel, 
where it's mm-hmm. like Tom Hanks and Haley Joel, you know, in the present, and uh, Haley Joel uh, is convincing Forrest to do Twenty Three and Me, and then or, mm. or like some, you know, like a, a you're just fiction. meeting past guns. Yeah, yeah. So like he does Basically, this yeah. like more formal, advanced Twenty Three and Me, and then it's like just going back through Gump history of all of the. Like, I mean, you could do every historical moment. The world according to Gump. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's not bad. That's not I mean, bad. especially because we know Tom, you know, Tom's already down to play the ancestors. So, right. And yeah. it'll, it'll be like, uh, you know, when you see Ned Flanders, family and they're all just different versions sure. of him. So you could have like British stupid Gump. Also, I feel like easy <laughs> pitch bit- for Tom Hanks. If you just yeah. have like some World War. Oh, he loves his history. Yeah. He, yeah. You know what? If we get someone who can do a good enough Gump voiceover, I'll bet we can just recut Cloud Atlas. <laughs> Don't you dare. Just his parts. His no. Just his parts. You see all of the different Gumps. Yeah. One time I was in the future and I was fighting this devil kind of man. <laughs> okay, so are we ready to start pitching? Does anybody want to go no. first? Oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, let me get my um, stuff. Well, I'll just, you know. Shit. Travis did another diorama. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know Um, Okay. I got fun facts. And I'm going to break up the pitches with fun facts, but I'm going to sprinkle this one in first. From the start of the movie up until Jenny's death, Forrest always buttons his shirts all the way to the top. After Jenny's death, he is shown wearing his shirts with the top button unbuttoned, which I had never noticed before. Hmm. What do you think that means, guys? He's uh He doesn't care what he looks like anymore. If there was a sequel, I I might like a scene where if he meets a new love interest, he buttons his top button again, like he's back on the prowl. Yeah. Oh yeah, I like that. Yeah. I do like that a lot actually. It does yeah. it's it just feels like like Jenny dies and he's putting his shirt on in the morning and he's like slow and depressed <laughs> and he gets the top button and he's just like, Why bother? I'm wondering how many major life events it takes to unlock shirtless. (laughs) (laughs) Sweatpants. Who has to die? Who all has to die? Okay. Your pitch, Travis. Whatever. Just likes to interrupt my rhythm. Come on in. Sit down over here. So I don't... I'm not crazy about this title, to be honest with you. It's The Tall Tales of Forrest Gump. Oh, I like it. So we're actually going to open this movie... At a Bubba Gumps. Mm. So we're at Bubba Gumps, and there are there's this group of teenagers, like three to four teenagers, and they're hanging out, like you do in high school, with your friends. And they uh, see someone sitting in the booth from the back that looks like an older Forrest. It's Tom Hanks. And they all kind of start like swapping stories, like, I think that's him, that's the guy, that's, Miss, that's Forrest Gump, that's Gump. And then they start kind of doing like swapping urban legends, you know, like you do in school. Um, Basically, what we're going to be doing here is we're covering the back half of Forrest Gump's life that we didn't get to see, you know, the 90s through 2019, whenever this movie comes out. Mm -hmm. But because, like we discussed earlier, in a post-9-11 world, it feels a little weird to do that with the same vein. What we're going to do is we're going to look at that through the lens of this generation, and they're going to be flashing back to the events that they remember from their prehistory before they were born and when they were like in middle school and elementary school. And we're going to kind of get to see that Gump's eye view 
uh, and I have some ideas listed on the next page. They don't, that doesn't super matter. That's the fun of the movie, obviously. But the structure of it is these kids talking. Uh, so all, throughout the whole thread of this thing is they have one big question that they want to know about him that they don't have the answer to. Will, did he find love again? Did he button mm. that top button? Mm. Finally, someone comes to meet with Forrest. It's Haley Joel Osment. His son is meeting his dad for lunch. He catches these kids. You know, he sees them giving them furtive glances and he comes over to talk to them. Um, and he tells a final story about his father to them. And then after that story is over and the time passing, you're going to see like more Dr. Peppers and drinks and stuff pile up on the table and the sun is changing time and stuff. But we're going to get finally Forrest will come over um, and he's not going to tell like a story like in the first one. We're not going to flash back, but he is going to answer the question. Did he ever find love again? Um, and I wrote down something really nice about that. Honey, do you remember what I said yeah. about that? Um, yeah, he basically forced going to come over and be, they were going to be like, oh, did you ever find love? And he's like, well, I never lost my love. I still got my love for mama, my love oh, for Jenny. No. So I didn't, I, did, I didn't lose that. I still have that. Oh. Yeah, that's he lost, he lost the people, not the love. So yeah. he's never had to find love again. Right. Oh. And then they're going to go, that's him so and his good. son are going to go have their, their dinner while these four teenagers go out into their world, into their new lives, into their histories. Nice. I like it. Thank you. Wow, you really got me. Way to uh, pinch hit there, Lauren, in the Thank end, you. really Thank bring you. it home. He's great, man. Yeah. I helped. Uh, so, That's my pitch, too. I helped. So some yeah. of the stuff <laughs> nice. that I have is, like, Forrest swimming with the whales, because Save the Whales was really big in the 90s. So him, like, swimming with the whales at some point. Uh, and then Clinton on, if Bill I went Gates. anywhere, I was swimming. <laughs> <laughs> Swim, um, Forrest. <laughs> swim. I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my fun fact to break up before the next pitch is that inspired by Lieutenant Dan, Gary Sinise co-founded a rock and roll cover band during the mid 2000s called the Lieutenant Dan Band. Mm. The band often goes on USO tours to play for U.S. military personnel stationed around the world and also various benefits for veteran related causes. In general, he has become extraordinarily charitable for veteran stuff like uh, over the years. But I thought that one was pretty cool. Lieutenant cool. Dan Band. I mean, maybe this was a discussion that he had with the band members, but I would have voted hard for Lieutenant Band. Lieutenant Band. Hmm. Lieutenant Dand. No. This is why you're... <laughs> it, sounds like he's been, it sounds like he's been banned from something, though. Oh. Uh, yeah. I see, that's how Lieutenant Dan Band won. Yeah. Mm. That must yeah. have been the exact no. conversation they had. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Robin, you want to finish us out or you want to go next? Uh, I'll, I'll go next. I feel you since I've gone this far. Might as well turn around. Just keep on going. Uh, working title, Finding Forest. Bonus points. Okay. Maybe also a sequel to Finding Forrester. <laughs> <laughs> Double sequel. All right, I'm looking forward to how you tie those universes together. Oh, I'll do it right now. Uh, you're the Gump Now dog. <laughs> right? That was fine, Forrester, right? Said by that same character? You're the yes, man now yes. Dog? Okay, yeah. But, yeah. I haven't seen it. Okay. <laughs> Did you see the trailer? Or no. were you alive that year? <laughs> you're the Man Now dog. It was that everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Oh, right. <laughs> okay, so uh, we open on uh, Forrest Jr. in college. Class is interrupted. Uh, it, professor turns a TV on, 
planes are hitting the World Trade Center, right? Like, it's nine wow. eleven. Wow. Yeah. Um, and uh, in narration, Forrest Jr. is like, I, my dad isn't a smart man, but he's always been smart enough for me. Anytime things got dark, mm. he was there to give my life meaning or like to make it make it clear or whatever. And so um, then Forrest Jr., you know, is like running down the Alabama dirt road to uh, to the old house. He's going to like find his dad. I need some insight. How, how are we supposed to handle what's going on in the world right now? And he goes inside. Forrest is gone. Can't find Forrest. There's no sign of him except for his Nike running shoes box is open on the floor and his running shoes are gone. Oh, all right. Wow. And so yeah. then, okay. then he'd go find <laughs> Lieutenant Dan, Lieutenant Dan, dad's gone. What do I do? Um, Lieutenant Dan, probably, uh, deeply affected by the acts of nine 11 as a veteran. Um, and so then basically they go on an odyssey, through time trying to figure out where Forrest has wound up. Um, and uh, nice. they finally find Forrest Gump and he's uh, someplace like a diner in like Budapest or something. And uh, and he's just like, I don't know, like maybe he doesn't know how to handle it or still or something. And anyway, it comes to be like just a, a thing like we uh, as a country still have a pretty gaping wound with the whole 9-11 thing. And I think that huh. just like we mm. all were saying, trying to figure out how to put this together, it was like, well, what the hell are you going to do with nine eleven? So I just thought maybe just make it like the whole thing, like make it the movie. Yeah. Wow. You know? Yeah. It's like wow. Deal, yeah. Let's like let's deal with nine eleven mm. as a country. That's what a can, That's great, actually. Yeah, because we haven't yeah. really done that. We're we trying quietly to yeah, around building, it, and we like made movies literally about it, but not necessarily. How but those were just like, you, yeah, a combination of torture porn yeah. and like patriot yeah. porn. Yeah, 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 yeah. What we wanted, right? Yeah. But we never really done anything like being like, "Hey, guys, dealing." Let's talk about this fuck that happened. And you know what? We also didn't really deal with Vietnam. So thematically, it works with the first. That's true. I wasn't trying to mic drop on Vietnam. That's true. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then my uh, fun fact to break these up: Kurt Russell did an uncredited voice for Elvis Presley as a reprise for his role as Elvis in the 1979 movie, Elvis. Wow. That's cool. Okay. Well, here's my pitch. <clears throat> Thought I'd try out my sea legs. Well, you ain't got no legs, Lieutenant Dang. Yes, I know that. Little Forrest, Haley Joel Osment, and he's in a, as an adult man talks to his therapist about growing up as the son of Forrest Gump. So he this that is the sitting on a park bench of it is oh. Haley Joel Osment's narration talking about his life growing up as Forrest's son, about how he could never live up to this man who has accomplished so much and how he could also never fully relate to the way that he saw the world. How he's always been caught halfway between wanting to be exactly like his father and and loving him, but also resenting him for his effortless success and happiness in life and his ability to be oblivious to so much of the world's darkness. So he's prone to depression, much like Jenny. 
Forrest Jr. recounts stories from his own youth that contain historical events which his father, of course, unwittingly involves himself in and or causes. The only one I have written down is the O.J. Simpson trial, (laughs) which I know was planned to be in the sequel somehow. Forrest was going to be in the back of the Bronco, right? (laughs) Yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, that works for me <laughs> so very well. Funny. <laughs> There's also a story in there about him, uh, Little Forrest, playing peewee football, and there being an incident where Forrest Sr. saw uh, his coach smack him in the head or something, and then Forrest goes and beats up the coach, Forrest style. Nice. Big, long punches, <laughs> um, yeah. elbow way back. Yeah. He also tells the story of when he learned that his own negative influence could affect his father's behavior slash outlook on life, just like with Mama or Jenny or Lieutenant Dan. And from then on, he's felt the pressure of being held to his father's impossible standard of kindness and often feels ashamed when he falls short of it. Uh, oh, by the way, Lieutenant Dan is also in some of these flashbacks, encouraging Lil Forrest to appreciate his father and recounting his own journey with Forrest. So, about halfway through the movie, Forrest joins his son in therapy. As they continue to sell stories and fill in the background, Forrest tells his son that he wishes he could give him his own happiness and that he would, all of it. After therapy, the two men talk and Forrest says, I loved your mama more than anything in the whole world. She was an angel, but she spent her whole life running away from me, and I don't want you to do that, too. Uh, Little Forrest assures his father that that will never happen. How old is Little Forrest here? A a full-grown man. Okay. This is like a modern Haley husband. Little Forrest? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Or Forrest Jr. Okay, I'm just checking. Uh, He is a small-statured man. Haley Joel Osment um, is? That could add to the resentment, too. Yeah, he's stubby. Oh. <laughs> God. Does he look well, lived in? You son of a bitch. <laughs> I, you know what? Yes. And it adds to the character. All right. I love how Haley Joel grow up. I love his aesthetic. Yeah. yeah. I like uh-huh. his vibe. Obviously. Um, <laughs> we jump ahead year, years later. Uh, Lil Forrest is married with a daughter of his own who adores her grandpa, Forrest. We follow things through the death of Forrest Sr. And the, heavy e- and the heavy effect it has on his son, who sees it as the last bit of good leaving the world. The end. He makes it through, <laughs> and in the end, <laughs> I'm basically there. He makes it through, and in the end, we see that Forrest lives on in him and the things that he'll never forget that his father taught him. Uh, and this is called... And this is called Forrest Gump 2, T-O-O. Oh. That's, um, ooh, that's pro. I'm really sad yeah. just hearing you describe the pitch of the movie that Forrest Gump dies in. I know. I know. I mean, the, but I, I think that that surfs the same waves as the first one. I mean, I cried. I've seen this movie mm-hmm. so many times. I think I cried four or five times watching it again the other night. Okay, well, what's the biggest one? Oh, Grave. What, when it hits you. Grave scene, right? The Grave. Whenever he says he's so smart yeah. and he breaks. He's so smart. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the one. talking about his son. Oh. Well, and when he asks, is he smart or is oh, he? Oh, God. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, fuck. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry I brought this up. All um, the way through. And then Lieutenant Dan has his legs back. 
Oh, yeah. oh that and that was supposedly nice Tom life. Hanks's favorite scene, the magic legs. Mm-hmm. Great. So shall we vote? And then move on to light her fair? Um, I, I guess I, I won't vote because I feel like that'll throw off the balance. How um can well, I, you can be our tiebreaker. Okay, I'll be a tiebreaker. Yeah. How uh in, in your in your film, Paul, how exactly does Forrest Senior die? Oh, of old age, natural causes. Oh. I mean, it's like a deathbed scene like Mama, but not... Um, I mean, maybe it's cancer, but he's definitely... Is that set in the future, then? Know, old. Are we like, you get to see... Events? Like, Forrest Sr. lives with them, let's say, you know, and the granddaughter loves having him around, and then one day he's out gardening and falls off the mower or something like that. Like, so he, he goes then, out like the godfather. <laughs> well, but not like he doesn't die right then and there. It's like then... Cut to oh, there's something wrong with him. Oh, he's bedridden. Oh, you okay. Know, so we are going to be. This is like, going to be our goodbye, like Sally Field style. Yeah, it's yeah, like I mean, and I would say it's kind of like the way that the first movie is structured, where the bus thing basically takes you to the third act, right? And then so the therapy takes you to there to to that point, and then the third act is um, the future. Forrest will be on his uh, hover mower. <laughs> It wouldn't work because it's off the ground. Yeah. That's very. That's funny. all. That's all I could think about. I, I was. I wasn't saying anything. <laughs> yeah. I was deep in thought about how a hover mover would work. Well, it's laser. It's laser technology. Just slicing. Ah. Fascinating. Uh, Robin, how voting works is you can vote for one, not your own. Okay. I'm gonna vote for Forrest Gump, two T O O. Wow. Okay. Okay. Paul. I am going to vote for Finding Forest. Yes. Mm. Not looking good for me, but let's see if I can <laughs> figure it out. Um, I'm going to vote also for Finding Forest, not out of spite, but just mm. because I, I don't want to watch Forrest Gump die in them. Get hit sad. by a friggin' cuss. Sad in my heart. Like in Robin's script, which he didn't mention until now. Boom, strategy! <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell where heaven stopped and the earth began. It's so beautiful. You would have, okay, Lauren would have voted for mine. So. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, congratulations, Robin. Well done. I won. Cool title. At what point do they come across Sean Connery's character? I wish I knew. Well, but that's going to get tea after the credits. Why don't you have me back for the Finding Forrester <laughs> episode and I'll oh, and the we'll... same pitch plus the forest <laughs> part. <laughs> Finding Forest is a prequel to Finding Forrester. Yeah. Oh, so we're going to find out that Haley Joel Osment is Sean Connery. Forrester yeah. is one more than Forrest. No, I it's get more it. more than Forrest. No, I'm doing the math. I okay. get it. And then you get sequel potential for Finding Forest Est. All right, well, so if anybody has any, can we talk about unsung heroes of the movie? Hit it, Paul Jr. Unsung heroes! People you noticed this time that add a little spice you'd never tasted before? I, I will say that on um, this viewing, I, we noticed that when Forrest is getting off the bus in D.C., Someone, the the woman with the army jacket and the army helmet and the glasses, she shouts for someone named Hillary to mm. help wrangle the people. 
And I don't know if that is a reference to Hillary Clinton because there is a young girl there who is helping, mm. um, who I guess you could argue looks like Hillary Clinton in college, but you could also argue she just looks like a you know seventies woman in named college Hillary. named Hillary. Mm. So yeah. unsung hero question mark unsung historical figure new Uns- segment unsung mm-hmm. cameo yeah yeah. I, I just had never put together before how many times they cut back to the barbershop guys. They all, you continuously see this trio of guys in a barbershop watching Forrest on TV at various points in the movie. Timeless watchers, an ancient Greek chorus. And I, what I love is there are like maybe one or two instances of them being dumbfounded, like him again. But for the most part, they're just casually watching. Like, I like that they don't make too much of a meal out of it, but it does add something. It's, I did notice, especially knowing it's Zemeckis, like, this movie does a lot of um, Back to the Future tricks. Cutting back to something like that, or the fact that, you know, there's the scene where he runs away from the boys, breaks his leg braces after they throw rocks at him, and they chase him out with their bikes. Then as an adult, the exact same thing happens again with the guys in their car, they do a lot of like the cycle of life type of tricks, like in Back to the Future. It was a good device. I really like the guy, like I guess the assistant football coach. Oh yeah, I wrote him down. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking uh, about him. Cause yeah, because the he he says line about like he's stupid, but he sure can run. The assistant coach is just jawing hot. like you <laughs> see. Juiced. He is juiced on gum. Yeah, I don't think anyone has sung about the bus driver who appears both for Young Forrest and Forrest Jr. Without uh, being too Hollywood about it, they really captured the spirit of a good school bus driver. And it's an actress that I love anyway, Siobhan Fallon Hogan, Edgar's wife from Men in Black. Right, yeah, we've got Siobhan Um, back for uh, uh, Finding Forrest. Yeah. (laughs) Finding Forrest. (laughs) Oh, definitely. (laughs) Did it seem to you guys like they aged her up at all? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think so. I thought she looked too young. No, no. I thought she looked good is the problem. That's the problem. Oh, it's I thought a problem. She problem. Yeah. It's, Why is it a problem? Because her character is supposed to be old, just like Jenny is supposed to be lived it. <laughs> yeah, God. You just hate the way people are. Just women. <laughs> just women, Robin. <laughs> just women. I was being, I was being generous. <laughs> well, it's a good thing I'm the editor. <laughs> and uh, we'll see how much of this lived-in business makes the final cut. <laughs> I want the listeners to know, and I think Kelly has a right to know, that as many times as you've heard us reference Paul saying Haggard, he's cut out twice as many. We have not relented. On Haggard is not a problem. Haggard is a descriptive term that was appropriate. Put it on the Valentine's card, Paul. See what happens. Okay. I, I want to get away from you guys. So let's, uh, <laughs> any plugs that anybody has that they'd like to make before we uh, wrap it up? Uh, when's this dropping? Uh, well, we're getting cl- um, five weeks, four, four or five weeks. Okay. Well, if yeah. you're listening to this now, then probably the third season, the newest season of The Hotel has released. And you can go and listen to that now. Um, and if you haven't, go ahead and listen to the first two seasons of our horror podcast, The Hotel. Um, and if you don't like horror, then listen to The Theater of Tomorrow, our science fiction podcast. 
Um, and I Excellent. have a website. I got super bummed out because I recently got an email notification that I got my first click after about two months of having it live. So, you could be number two. Yeah. So please check out my lonely website, lolascustomfunkos.com. And and at that website, you can get customized Funkos yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's ordered. In, it's in the title. Sure. You know. Just, you know, as far as commercials go. It's awkward, but... Um, you can go to robinscustomfunkos.com uh, for, <laughs> for customized Funkos. Where you, and you're getting plenty of clicks over there. I'm, I'm probably I'm getting yeah, in the threes. <laughs> <laughs> Robin, you don't want to plug your album? Do you have a new album? Have I missed a whole nother album? Uh, no, you, you have not now. missed so a whole nother album, um, but I am working on something and I'll, uh, maybe uh, you can have me back once it's, uh, once it's launching. Cause I, uh, it's not available at the moment <laughs> in any way. <laughs> what about a pre, I didn't, I didn't even know you had albums. Where can we find your, uh, cried so hard. The cops came is available on, if you Google it, uh, actually, no, it's not. It's not available there. Cried so hard the cops came is out of print. Um, but uh, if you go to <clears throat> robinfh.com or bogdon.com, at some point in the future, there'll be websites there for my new project. I have a rare plug. Uh, it's for a place in Los Angeles, specifically in Eagle Rock, Galco's Soda Pop Stop, uh, which I'm sure many people are familiar with. I went there and got the Zagnut Bar for the Beetlejuice episode. I also went there today to get a bottled Dr. Pepper for this episode. The lovely man who owns the place told me that they were out and that Mm -hmm. there's been a shortage of bottled Dr. Peppers. I decided not to listen to the soda expert, and I drove around silly-nilly trying to find one. And even at haunts where I'd seen them before, it is gone. So, and... As a favor to the listeners, I didn't mention this till now because I knew that the full episode would become about the Dr. Pepper shortage <laughs> crisis. So we, all have a lot we can talk about that now off mic. Yeah. They it's also a big have deal. sandwiches at Galco's, right? Yes, they do. Uh, they just brought those back kind of recently. I actually got one for, oh. for Kim. I knew I was going to be eating shrimp, so I didn't get one today. But yeah, I'll get one soon. It's like we're ever going to be plugging uh, local... Uh, food. Um, I uh, currently am living in East Alton, Illinois, riding out this uh, pandemic here. Um, so I'd like to plug uh, getting food from grocery stores because uh, there are not <laughs> restaurants here. <laughs> I mean, is that, enough, is that enough fun color for your outro, Paul? Uh, yeah. I, well, well let, real quick, let me mention that the last place I checked for the bottle Dr. Pepper <laughs> was a delightful little sandwich shop, Mario's Italian Deli, where they have gl- bottled uh, sodas in addition to delicious sandwiches as well. But they didn't Listen have it. Oh. I didn't. Well, I, I ended up having to settle for a plastic 20 ounce oh. Dr. Pepper, but which, by the way, um, the combination of shrimp, cocktail sauce, and Dr. Pepper is odd. That sounds odd. Yeah, um, but I did buy a bottled 7-Up at Mario's just so uh, I was still giving money to Dr. Pepper 7-Up. Did you know that the only difference... Because they're a great company. The only difference between cocktail sauce and ketchup is it's like a placebo effect. 
No, no, it's no, it's not. There's vinegar or something. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and uh, (laughs) our on the next follow-up showdown. Today's film. The Jesus Rolls. We've got Tony Vinci and Travis Ray. This thing not even a film. It's a thing. This fucking thing is incoherent. <laughs>